0: Welcome to episode 102 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of four, and as you can see from the outtakes there, allegedly intelligent guys talking about their passion for Linux. So I'm Rob, and with me today are my three podcasting pals, Ryan. You. you This week. I'm doing amazing, man. Good, good, good. And Noah, how are you? Excellent. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. And our always-on-time friend, Michael, how are things?
1: Uh, Perfectly on time and great.
0: Good, 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 good. So keeping it on time, what have you been up to this week, Michael?
1: Well, I mean, I can't keep anything on time. You're going to give me like this open-ended thing. So,
2: (laughs) Oh, no. What did you
1: do? (laughs) Well, actually, what's interesting is that I redesigned the This Week in Linux uh, visuals for the layouts that's coming out in the next episode. So it's completely different by like 30%. So not completely. I was going
0: to say, because I saw that, and I thought, where's the difference?
1: Well, the the camera's bigger. The viewport's smaller. The the logo is no longer covering the viewport. Uh, And also, I made it where the distro icons are, like, scrolling up the entire time I'm talking on all topics. So, like, the icons... The icons used to just be... Like, I had, like, 30, but you could only see, like, three because I didn't have it moving. And now it moves, and you can see a bunch of them. So, like, at any given time, there's... Um, you know, it's it cycles through three every like five seconds or something.
2: And what free and open source software did you use to uh, make those edits? OBS.
1: Thank you. Nice. OBS, OBS actually does the scrolling for me and everything. <laughs> okay. Photoshop, everything else.
0: Name something. I don't. <laughs> what
2: was that, Michael? <laughs> huh? What? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah.
0: So
3: Noah, what have you been up to? I've been playing with a new product, for, not a new product, it's actually been out for a little bit, but it is a it is an access point from Ubiquity that actually contains a PA system. And so uh, we're all familiar with the UAP AC Pro, at least if you, uh, if you listen to me, you're familiar with that device. And so it's probably the best access point on the market. Well, they've upgraded it now, and it contains actually a little miniature speaker inside of it. And so you can put these access points all over your house. They're really, they're designed for schools put them all over the schools and then there's an app and you hit on the app and then you can make announcements through the app and it comes out over the speakers or you can schedule announcements or stuff like that. So I've been playing with that and I think we're going to end up rolling those out in some schools.
0: Even better. Very cool. So Ryan, what have you been uh, getting into trouble with?
2: Well, I've been playing around with different types of decentralized services. So one of the services that I was checking out this week is called Open Bazaar, which is basically a peer-to-peer version of eBay that utilizes Bitcoin in order to make transactions with individuals. But it's completely decentralized except for the fact that you can assign basically to your account kind of like moderators or people to make sure that others are actually going through with the transactions and that type of stuff. Very interesting concept. I haven't purchased anything yet but I'm kind of watching and seeing what things are out there. There's lots of awesome tech and Bitcoin-related stuff and shirts and clothes and everything else you'd find on eBay. There's also some illegal stuff on there, so be careful uh, with that there. But it's very interesting to see that. And also DTube, I've been playing around with a little more and uploaded my Arch review video that I did uh, that was community requested up there on DTube to check it out, which is another decentralized kind of alternative to YouTube out there, which I think is really interesting. Uh, As I understand it, if your videos get enough views, you get paid in Bitcoin there as well. So I'm kind of just checking out all these decentralized platforms, giving them a look and seeing what is really out there as alternatives to these other services. How does DTube compare with Peertube? Well, I've never used Peertube, so I can't really say, but... DTube seems to have an. I don't think does PeerTube have an ability, Michael, for you to get paid? Because I know DTube no. does, and no, I think D- that's one of the big differences. Is you know, if I'm going to switch from YouTube or somewhere else, you still want to be able to make money off the videos that you produce and by watch time and things like that. Because uh, a lot of people aren't just going to pay you for videos that you're making, but uh, DTube has that ability built in where they're basically. Paying you through Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies as people watch.
1: Right.
3: Mm, very cool. Yeah. Sounds interesting. We have an email this week. It says Greetings. I've been using Linux since 2003 and starting on Mandrake Linux. I hopped around for a while looking for a distro that was functional and ended up on OpenSUSE. Now OpenSUSE Tumbleweed for the majority of my machines. I assist with home, auto- I assist with home education of my kids with a few applications, G Tux type, to name a few, using Code Weavers and Crossover Linux. I use Rosetta Stone for language training, currently ger- German and Latin. For teaching my oldest concepts about mechanical assembly and subassembly materials, I use LeoCAD. He gives a link to LeoCAD and my use at Cubicle Nate, a LegoCAD software based on OpenSUSE Linux. This is a real fun way to spark the fire of mechanical design. I use LibreOffice sometimes. Shh, Microsoft Office using Crossover, <laughs> which you don't have to do by the way. Uh, when I hack around doing other graphic things, I use GIMP and Krita. I have never used Photoshop, but was pretty talented in Deluxe Paint V, Commodore Amigo back in the day. Can I do all of these things in Windows? Yes, maybe, but it isn't as fun or stable. The brilliant way KDE Plasma allows me to interact with the desktop makes it hard to use anything else. Easy backup, redundancy of data, and stupid easy, <coughs> stupid easy, and provides an elevated level of pace, of peace and confidence as compared to Windows that it just can't provide. On top of all of that, I have KDE Connect, of which I have been a fan before it was cool. Is it something I just can't live without? I do admit, I think it is good. I have one Windows machine provided by my employer and I have to keep it, I have to keep me from taking Linux for granted. It's easy to forget how good you have it on Linux. Thanks for all you guys do, the banter is great. Adding Noah was like adding my best friend I never actually met even though he can't read my email. Nathan. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I added, maybe added that little last piece. But uh so just one quick note on that. So Microsoft Office, because I get this question mm, once every three days. Somebody says, I need to be able to use Microsoft Office. I say use LibreOffice. They say, Well, I don't want to. I say why? Well, the bold button and italics buttons are in a different place in LibreOffice than they are in Microsoft Office. Yes, I've actually gotten that as a complaint. Okay. <laughs> well, if you absolutely insist on using Microsoft Office because the buttons are in a different place, you don't actually have to use crossover. 360 will let you, 365, whatever they call it, you can sign up for a free account and you can use native Office in a web browser Mm -hmm. on Linux with no restrictions. And I have tons of clients that are doing that. It actually works pretty well. Office
1: 365,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. And did you notice this part when he says he hacks around doing graphics things, he uses GIMP and Krita. And this (laughs) is the key part, Michael, I hope you're listening to. I have never used Photoshop. Mm, I don't think it said that. GIMP and Krita. That is amazing. Yeah, I don't Two think. Oh, it did actually say open that. Open source mind. alternatives.
3: Uh, like <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, he's making that up. <laughs> yeah, did totally say that?
1: But I mean, there's a difference between like that was We've already, already we've already talked about this. It doesn't matter. So we've already <laughs> talked about this. And what what I will say is that uh-huh. uh, Katie Connect has always been cool, like all the time. <laughs> just saying. If he can't defend his use of Windows. I don't. I use I, a, I use a VM creating. that's only purpose is Photoshop, and it, does, it doesn't matter. It Doesn't count. It's a different thing. Do you
3: really not? I, I mean, so straight up. So you really don't have a physical install Windows. It's really all in a VM. Correct. Yeah. VirtualBox. VirtualBox. Really. Yep. So here's why I can kind of get behind that. So as, as an IT administrator that gets tasked of doing all sorts of things, I don't get any say in some of these things. Like we worked on a heating and cooling system at a hotel. I don't get to tell them, well, you can't use that heating and cooling system that you paid $25,000 for because it is a piece of Windows. Like that answer doesn't work, right? Like, right. And, and here's the thing. They don't like if I walk in and say, well, I don't use Windows. They'll say, okay, well, then you don't administrate our network. We'll find somebody else. So I don't have that luxury. <laughs> But what I do have the luxury of doing is I can say I do have a hard rule. I won't install Windows on my machine. So any of those one-off pieces of software, I run in a VM. And the truth of the matter is, honestly, running a Windows application inside of a Windows VM, license-wise, restriction-wise, stability-wise, all of that stuff is absolutely no different than running it in if they had a wine-wrapped version like all Linux users except like
0: TeamViewer. Right? Exactly.
3: It's when you actually replace your 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 actual operating system and give up your stability and privacy to be able to run some applications. That for me is that hard I will not cross line in the sand. I'd rather mm-hmm. lose a client than do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so I mean, I, mean I, I can't fault you for that.
1: Right, it's just a VM and the only reason I do it is because uh, as far as pro- like I'm a professional designer and GIMP is great for most people, not professional designers. That's I, I still
2: think you're a filthy dual booter, even though it's in a VM. I still consider you a filthy dual booter. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it's not.
3: not wow. though. It's not dual like booting.
2: It I'm, it's still. I'm still in Linux it's at all times.
1: I'm, the maybe, VM. I can't. You don't have to. Okay. So you here's to start the start VM. You, have you to, don't, don't I, have to
3: install. Dri- you don't true. have to install drivers. You uh-huh, have the ability right. of snapshots. When Windows crashes, it doesn't. T- if you're running Telegram and Photoshop, Windows can completely take a dump and it just, you restart that application, mm-hmm. Telegram stays running, your email stays running, Destination Linux show notes stay running, the Destination Linux stream on YouTube still keeps running, the download at Podget, get Destination Linux, that all still runs, all of that stuff still happens even if Windows takes a dump. To me, that's the difference between dual booting
2: and running a VM.
1: I also have it really customized so that the, there's no internet on the Windows side, so I don't have to worry about viruses getting through the internet because it doesn't, doesn't exist there. So, like, so you're
2: like quarter filthy dual
1: boot. No, it's more like, it's more like 16th. Yes, 16th. I, I'll go with 16th. I'll go
0: 16th. Well, top. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's take this to our patrons. And when they um, send us their emails in this week, is running Windows in a VM? Does it make you a filthy dual booter? <laughs> Answers in your emails, please, to comments at DestinationLinux.org. And we'll we'll get a little poll going and we'll let Michael know next week whether he's filthy or not. I am so excited.
1: <laughs> I'm so excited. So Okay, Michael,
0: so onto some distro news.
1: Yeah, so some about some actual like, you know, not definitely not a filthy dual booter stuff. Directly the Linux kernel, not even just like the Linux operating system as like a generic. We're gonna talk about the actual kernel. Yeah. Four dot twenty was released this week and its codenamed Shy Crocodile. <laughs> Which is awesome and also ridiculous. Uh, I love it though. Um, this re- this release contains the uh, a, a, basically a modified version of the the really ridiculous performance hit that we had. Uh, they announced it like a few weeks ago where there was mm-hmm. like fifty percent loss of performance. They have uh, fixed that as far as like only applying to certain processes that absolutely need it and not to other processes that they don't really. So instead of going like the entire. Uh, gambit they didn't they just only thing that's necessary so the stibp um, patching is much more reasonable which is fantastic um, so so, is,
0: it, is it user switchable can you turn it off if, yes, you, on, c- if you wish
1: I think, I think it's up to the distro whether or not they want to activate it uh, mm-hmm. so because I don't know I don't know if the individual user could do that because it's probably going to be like a flag inside of the kernel for the distro oh, wow. but it's possible for a distro to uh, facilitate a switch for that so it's it's definitely uh, they did make it where it's you know interchangeable you could turn it off or on but I don't know mm. how it's uh, how it's accessible to the user or not that's really right. up to whatever distro you use um but probably like um things like arch would probably give you the option because the you can you probably install the different ver- variations of it pretty quickly I use arch Oh okay good thanks for that Ryan <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, quite a few things that are uh, really good about this. Like the Nubo drivers got a lot of got good got good support for like uh, HDMI 2.0, which is uh, I'm pretty sure is the current main like mainstay version, and 2.1 is the one that's coming out, something like that. Mm. Yeah, uh, but it's this, this is really cool stuff. Has anybody checked this out?
2: Yeah, I have. There's a lot of neat things that were included in this that I thought were fun. We did talk about the mitigation like you did last week, yeah. but. Um, they've also added in support, for instance, like the Xbox S controller rumble feature. So if you've ever played a console game and it has that rumbling in it, you know, when you get shot or it adds in that effect to the game, they now have that added in there uh, during gameplay, which I think is cool. They also added support for other hardware devices out there that you may or may not like, like the Apple's Magic Trackpad and things like that, but just giving people more options if they're used to it are coming from other things. Personally, I hate that Magic Trackpad anytime I ever use one, but some people love it. So it's awesome that they have those features there. Additionally, they added in support for other CPU architectures out there, which basically is the Haigon Diana. some Chinese manufactured (laughs) CPUs out there. I don't even know. I I know I butchered that to death. But in essence, (laughs) they're adding in a bunch of different support for other things out there. So it's very cool to see them focusing on all of these different hardware aspects of certain use cases that you may not even think about, but it's there in the Linux kernel, so if you have one, it's going to work. But that NVIDIA Nouveau driver, interestingly enough, came up in our Telegram group because somebody was having issues, I think, on one of their Bumblebee systems and did not know uh, that this Nouveau driver, Nouveau, N- I can't do it, I think Michael. It, I, think it's, Nuvo. I think it's Nouveau.
0: <laughs> it yeah.
2: Nouveau driver is actually in the Mesa driver yeah. kit. So uh, very interesting things out there, and I'm glad they're continuing to add to that project. Now, I did say in the comments that, hey, if you're looking the game and things like that, you're not going to have a great experience utilizing that open source driver. Mm. That doesn't mean the work that the folks... That did this is not absolutely incredible, amazing, and all of that stuff. It just has yeah. limitations uh, mm-hmm. out there for it. And they're well aware of that. Yeah. And to be fair,
1: it's also kind of the thing because of like the, they don't have like documentation from NVIDIA to actually make the drivers work really well with the hardware so that they couldn't make it for gaming, specifically because NVIDIA wants to be as, as most annoying as possible. So it's <laughs> it's not that the Inuvo people aren't making great progress because the fact that they can do this without having any. Uh, it's in, amazing yeah like because they're mm-hmm. reverse engineering everything and it's it's very impressive yeah
0: what, what i find quite strange though is it says it support for the xbox s controllers rumbling feature is that specifically to the s because my xbox controller has been rumbling on uh ets2
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the xbox one s
0: since, since i first plugged it in so is it just Specifically, the S1.
1: Yes, yes, the latest, the Xbox One S controller. That's but
2: this is game. why that's important because a lot of times, you know, you'll go to somebody will go to a store and they'll buy a controller for their PC. They're gonna grab mm-hmm. that Xbox One S, the newest one out there, mm-hmm. and they're gonna plug it in the computer, use it. Then they switch right. to Linux and they're like, oh, the controller doesn't work. But now if you go into Linux, controller's gonna work yeah. fine and all that stuff because that's the latest controller out there. Every time I see a
1: a news thing about the Rumble stuff, it always reminds me of the N64 Rumble pack where you actually had to buy a specific thing to plug into it.
3: And and you couldn't use that at the same time that you used the memory card? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Exactly.
2: Well, also in the news, we have Libra Elec. Did I do it right, Michael? Give that, me a thumbs up. That is All it. Right. There you Good. go. Good Version 8.95 out here that has a new beta release. The distro tagline, if you're not familiar with it, is just enough OS for Kodi. So this is something that's very popular out there for setting up top media servers, top box media servers on a Raspberry Pi or a similar device like that. And you want to leverage the power of Kodi and you don't wanna waste any of the power of it running anything else in the background. So it's super lightweight, it's simple to set up. Uh, When you go to download it, it basically has a ISO creator kind of built into it. So it downloads it, pushes it to an SD card or a USB drive, and then you put it in your device and it starts running. They have a bunch of new features that they've added into it like changeable SSH passwords that seems like a really good idea uh, default firewall IP tables with simple configurations updates are moved to their own menu uh, safe mode boot with Cody experience startup problems so now you've got a safe mode option there and initial support for retro gaming that they've added into it so a lot of these top set boxes out there today are including including like you know Amazon fire and all that stuff they're including games in it well now Cody's throwing that in there as well more hundreds of retro games that you can play in there with it so this seems like a really fun project if you got a Raspberry Pi for the holidays and you're trying to think what should I do with it maybe you should check out Libre elect I've had
3: uh, I've had okay use with it on the uh, on the Raspberry Pi if you use it if you're using it to stream DVDs it's probably okay when you get into 20 and 30 gig blu-rays it tends to—I mean, it'll work, but it tends to buffer throughout the video a couple of times. It'll hang up. It's—it's—it's it's, it's tolerable, but it's there. Um, I have found a a really cost-effective way is to go to someplace like Discount Electronics or eBay and just purchase like a third or fourth gen i5 and mm. flash that with Libre Elect. On they have those little compact mm-hmm. flash to uh, SATA adapters mm-hmm. and put one of those in there. Flash Libre Elect to it. Great little media center works fantastic and then it doesn't have that problem because it has a wired internet connection that's good i think the processor can kind of keep up a little easier yeah
1: the raspberry pi is uh it's really good for like someone who wants to try out cody for the first time and they already have a raspberry pi because you can get you can have 1080p and it still be quite good on the on the 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 raspberry pi 2 and 3. Uh, with the, sure. the one gig ones, like, but once you go into a certain level of quality, like, they just can't keep up with it. Uh, but the the Cody interface is like, as a, it's such a smooth thing now. Like the latest, the latest interface started with seventeen, I think, uh, which was Krypton. I'm pretty sure that was called Krypton. They, they, they just completely redesigned the whole thing, and it's, it looks smooth and it works great. And I think that uh, like the Libra Elect is absolutely the best. Uh, OS specifically for Cody if you wanted to use it on a like a set top box type of thing. Um,
2: it's really the only one, isn't it? I mean, well, is Open Elect or... is another one.
1: Like oh, I see. there's there's OpenAlec that there's Rasp- well, this
2: was a fork of that, right?
1: Yeah, it was a uh, LibreAlec is a fork of Open Elect because OpenAlec um they basically had a falling out between the developers and the developers wanted to stay in line closer to the release of Cody and mm-hmm. the people apparently didn't care. And so, when you see a, a new release of Open Alec, it's like six months, maybe after Cody comes out. Whereas when uh, Libra that comes out, it's like maybe a couple days from the release of Cody. All right. So, like okay. right now, this is then this is a beta of Libra Alec, but the it's based on an RC of Cody. So the Cody hasn't even come out yet, and they're already making beta releases for it. So like that's nice. why that's why I like Libra Elect because they're always like super close to release times with with cody itself
2: now i keep hearing about using the nvidia shield as a media center box is that a good idea noah's giving me lots of thumbs up and dances (laughs) look at all those dances
3: (laughs) my goodness fantastic idea uh the thing is the (laughs) nvidia nvidia shield i actually uh i fought this for a long long time right i thought it was I thought, I don't want something that I have to put on the cloud. I don't want something I have to register for an account for with Google. I don't want something that's running Google devices all throughout my house. It just seems like a really bad idea. Yeah. And Ryan, I feel like you of all people, like I'm, I'm striking some chords here because you yeah. don't even want it on your phone. Nah. You know, so imagine putting these on every TV in your house and then manage having to update those all the time. So I, I struggled with that for a long, long time. What I eventually came to was this. When you actually use it, It is so much faster, so much cleaner, so much more responsive because it's literally a gaming device that you're running, you're you're barely touching 15% of what it's actually capable of doing. And it has, it it becomes so responsive that it's hard to ignore. And so I actually redid the entire network layout of my house to accommodate the Nvidia Shield. I created an entirely separate VLAN that is just called the Internet of Things network. And the only thing those devices can talk to is the default gateway. They can't talk to anything else in the house and so the idea is that uh that that essentially i've i've done the best i can to secure that environment and and let them go out and at the same time uh i get the fast and responsive and usefulness of coding uh, well i guess the file server has access to that too but cuz i can't stream media without it right but uh but yeah it's it's an absolutely fantastic device and then they actually nvidia because they like to screw with me they have two versions. They had the regular NVIDIA Shield that had a 16-gig on onboard storage, and then they had the 500-gig Pro model that also had an IR receiver. They have since discontinued the Pro model, so you can only get the 16-gig version without the IR receiver. But our friends at um, Flirk have a small little USB IR receiver mm-hmm. that you can plug nice. in a 16 gig model, and then you can tie it into all of your home automation stuff. So we're right back to where we started, except for you don't have the 500-gig storage, but well, the prices have dropped
2: significantly. I'm even brand new right now. I was just looking, $169. I remember they were $260, $270 when they came out.
3: You can actually get them for $125 when they're on sale. I bought, I bought a couple at, a, at the last Black Friday sale for $120 on Target.com. Nice.
2: nice.
0: But, but how does that compare by spending, let's say, $100 on a mini PC? It's
3: way better uh, yeah. for a couple of reasons. First of all, a PC even with something like Libreelect is just not designed to be attached to your television right mm-hmm. so some of the first issues you're going to have you're going to have right off the bat is your one you're going to have to run a thick regular iec whatever you call it the power cord for the computer and so all of the home entertainment centers and stuff they all have these little conduits that are designed for small little power cords and now you got this bulky power cord second of all the the um NVIDIA shields are fanless. So, if you're using it inside of a home theater environment, you don't have any of the fans running that you're not, you're going to have that on a PC as well as the BIOS Mm -hmm. and all of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the boot time, because everything is solid state inside of the NVIDIA shield, it's literally designed to power on and then go back into sleep and come on and off depending on the remote commands. Whereas a computer has to be told to go to sleep, come back awake, and you've got to kind of go through that, at least that initial. Boot up process, kind of to to come back from a suspend state. So, I would say there's a number In of a size
2: d- difference, right? Yeah, and the prices the is,
1: is not that much that much anymore because like this, mm. the, no. the the price of the field, the shield is like maybe twenty, thirty dollars more than what you can give those like really like, kind of like underpowered, crummy like. Are you talking about the PCs?
2: Intel Nook and stuff like that?
1: No, no, no. The mini PCs where you can go to like you can go no, like no, Amazon no. and get like mini PCs that are like just they're like th- very mm. super thin towers.
3: The
0: bones, yeah. yeah, So it's not worth it. Like it's not worth it then saving those extra no. few bucks. Just go for the shield and work out how to set it I,
3: up. I bet you, I honestly, Zeb, I think if you priced it out, I almost I could almost guarantee you'd end up spending more on a PC than you would on the shield. So if should. you account for everything, if you account for the fact that you'd have to buy flash storage to get the yep. same speed, if you account for the fact that you'd have to buy the you know a remote and all of that, I think by the time you get through all of that, I think you'd end up spending more to do the PC, right? Cool. So, Darktable 2.6.0 has been released. Now, if you have a camera and you want to play with it, you absolutely have to have Darktable. We talked about this a little bit either last week or the week before. Darktable is a fantastic piece of software that essentially lets you do light touches of editing on your photos. A lot of people associate Photoshop with photo editing. Really Photoshop is more for creating art, whereas Darktable is for kind of retouching up photos. And um, they have made a number of improvements. A new module that allows you to retouch based on image frequency layers. A new module that allows you to replace a base curve with shadows and highlights. A new module that allows you to duplicate um, inside of Darkroom or uh, with the possibility to add a title or create a standard duplicate all of those kinds of things are available and it's one of those it, to me it's one of those uh tools that allow you to be a better photographer because i'll go out and i'll shoot some images and there's always something out of a batch that i'm like i wish i had changed i wish i had done a little bit better on this particular thing controlled the light a little bit better balance forgot to white balance whatever it is Darktable will allow you to do that and then allow you to batch process onto a number of images that supports a wide range of what we call raw sensor data. So you can pull raw photos from Nikon or Canon or Olympus, uh, Sony, all of those you can bring in that raw sensor data and Darktable is able to process that and then produce very high quality images, um, which is something that you'd not be able to do. Uh, without, If you don't have a piece of software like this, you're going to rely on the camera's processor, the camera's uh, processing ability to translate that sensor data into an actual mm-hmm. image. And Darktable is going to do that a lot better than than your onboard camera system is going to be able to do. So, it right. re- yeah, it really broadens your your ability as a photographer.
2: Yeah, It's amazing yes. how much work goes into these tools. When you look at it in this release in 2.6.0, there were 1600 plus commits plus bug fixes on top of all of that mm-hmm. for this tool. I mean, it's just so much work and passion and love goes into these products that we get to go out there and utilize for mm-hmm. no cost up front, Although you should I'm be to donating, it's so. free. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: it's free. Uh, if you if you do utilize it a lot, uh, you know, consider donating to the project because I know that would benefit from that. Uh, but one hundred percent. What was really interesting is like once we talked about it last week. Um, Well, I decided to do some like research to find like other photography places that are outside of the the open source Linux, uh, like enthusiast section. And there was a bunch of stuff on Reddit where people were talking about like there was a a photography section on Reddit where they were like, what's the who who prefers Lightroom versus Darktable? Which one should I get? And blah, blah. There was probably about 70 percent of the people uh, like advocating for Darktable. Even oh, wow. like even though they no don't no Linux bias yeah and they don't have they have no bias for Linux or open source and didn't care they just said it was better and they Do you, have was, a link?
3: you think you can track down a link to that Reddit thread I'd love to yeah to I read have through to them.
1: I have to find it in my history but I'll I'll, I'll totally look for it uh, but it's really it was really cool because there was one guy who was specifically talking about how uh, like he he immediately transitioned to Darktable after. Like the, the Lightroom announced their new version, which was like the consumer friendly version. So he started like digging into Darktable and then realized that not only is Darktable good, it's better than what he already had with Lightroom because it could do way Mm -hmm. more and the plugin system was much, much better. And they had way more updates and all that kind of stuff. It was really cool to see that because it was, it's like, it just shows you like Darktable is not just an open source enthusiast product. It's also, it has potential to become like the industry standard for photographers.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you imagine getting a hold of Michael's subreddit history? I imagine it's our hairstyles, our, our fashion. I'm a mod of hairstyles,
3: our punctuality. <laughs> our punctuality. Oh, did you well, that my would...
1: microphone on again. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> I don't think it would even let me touch the R punctua- punctuality.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. No. Well, I, I'm the mod of uh, our procrastinators. Light. Our
0: procrastinators. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So moving on, um, we have a new file manager um, that's appeared recently. Um, but rather interestingly, it's got a paywall.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and we'll get into some discussions of that. Um, it's been created by a, a gentleman called Tony George. Now, you might not recognize that name, but you, if you're a Ubuntu user, you will probably recognize TG2008 PPA. Because that's where he makes available things like Time Shift, Konky Manager, and the Aptic Backup, and others. Now, so he's decided to uh, make a file manager, which is going to be a hard task anyway, because most people have already made up their mind what file manager they're going to use, whether they stick with the one that's with the, that came with the distro that they installed, or whether they have their own favorite um, to port across. So what was interesting about this is it comes with every sort of feature you would expect a file manager to have anyway, but then hidden behind the paywall is the ability to write an ISO to a USB, um, image optimization with optimizing PNGs, reducing JPEG quality, remove color, reduce color and all sorts of other stuff. Some PDF tools and the ability to download via YouTube. Now, what was interesting for me was the article made the point that all of these features are behind the paywall, but there's been no commit for three months. So you're paying for development that doesn't appear to be happening? What's your guys' take on this?
2: I I found this fascinating because on on one side of the spectrum, I think that it's... Difficult out there for people who do fantastic work like Tony George has done to get people to realize that, yeah, it's free and open source, but you probably should donate to the project. Right. And we've done we've done a lot of work trying to get the word out about that on our platform saying, hey, if you use it a lot donate to these projects because while they do it out of the kindness of their heart it still takes a lot of time time away from their families time away from you know their own work and other things where they could probably make more money um so i understand the want to go in there and create first of all you can use the file manager without paying anything Mm, it's the extra features that you're paying for here so i kind of went back and forth on my emotions on it because on one side it's nice. To for the developers to try to find a way to make some extra money. And these are things you don't have to have in a file manager to this extra features. At the same time, it's a file manager. And I looked at the list of stuff and I was like, eh, I don't really need any of it. But Mm -hmm. that's not to say somebody else wouldn't. That was my take on it.
0: And did any of you install it and try using it?
2: I have not tried it yet, no. No way, there's a paywall. (laughs) There's a paywall. No, 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 no.
0: I'm interested in it though. It actually works very well. Um, And what I liked about it is straight out of the bat, when you go into dual pane mode, you know, one directory on the left and another directory Mm -hmm. on the right, and you want to copy files from one to the other, you haven't got to do your copy, move to the window and paste or copy, tab across and paste. Mm -hmm. There's actually an, an option that says copy to other window or move to other window and that's straight off of a right mouse click which is something that we have in peppermint built into nemo um it's not normally available on the right mouse click it's normally available on the edit copy to and and move to but you know he's obviously taken some very good features it it does things in a really different way i was expecting to see my mapped drives that i've got where i've gone in and said okay this is going to be called the data drive this is going to be called the f drive but it doesn't do that it just lists every single hard disk that you've got on your machine. So I then had to go to my one terabyte um, SSD, drop down a menu, and then I could find my data drive. So that was a little bit strange. But the mm-hmm. actual use of it, the feel of it, the look of it—it's um, typical Tony George, and it's been very well written. Yep. Um, would I take this across instead of Nemo? Well, it depends if I can remember how to get the unattached Nemo because isn't Nemo part of the Cinnamon desktop?
1: Yeah, it's—it's it's not. A, I don't think it's attached anymore. But it used to be, it It used to be attached. I'm pretty sure that they separated so that you don't, it doesn't depend on cinnamon anymore, Uh, but it still has a a lot of, um, you know, legacy code from the previous forks and stuff like that. So uh, a file manager is interesting because of like, most people just use whatever comes with their distro and don't really care about it because it's like, it's a file manager. I just want to see my files. Um, and, and I understand that, and I would also say that there, uh, there are some points to say that some file managers are definitely better than others. So, mm-hmm. like, Dolphin is obviously the best. And uh, so it, it's understandable that it, you, you would pick what you get used to, but it also kind of want you to try out the new uh, abilities for various different file managers, because a lot of people don't even know about the dual pane thing that many many browsers, I mean, file managers have, and, yeah. like, the... Like in some file managers, you can do the dual pane thing and just drag and drop from one to the other and you can make a yep. copy and stuff like that. Like there's, there's so many options you could have and it's possible that just as people finding this by itself might actually, and in, in, you know, get them interested in trying out other file managers in general. But as far as like the paywall goes, I don't know. Cause when I first saw this, I was like, Oh great. Another file manager and it has a paywall, <laughs> uh, so, but then I saw who made it, and I was like, "Oh, okay." I was judgy way too fast because Time Shift and Conky Manager are really good. Amazing, yeah, yeah. they're, they're I mean, very, very, yeah. very good. And uh, like, it's just, I, I understand why like the people were kind of bothered by like the 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 article is talking about the last commit three months ago. But what about all the applications that people promote that haven't had an update in like a year? But they because it's not behind a paywall, people were like, "Oh, this is so great," even though it's not been touched for a year. But why mm-hmm. is that? okay but if someone takes three months to work on something else like for example it's not like he's only doing this one file manager he's also working on time shift when was the last time time shift updated you got to take that in consideration because it's one person like there's Mm -hmm. there's different like levels where you got to balance like whether it's a a valid point or not and i think that uh, this is an interesting approach because freemium is kind of like a new model that works in many ways Uh, For whether it's services or whether it's, um, you know, software itself, it depends on how the like, is it licensed? Like, how do you once you pay the donation?
2: How does it become? That's always my question with this stuff, because the the first thing I think when I see this stuff is, okay, I moved to a new computer. Do I have to pay $10 again? How's the license transfer? How does all this work? Because it's just annoyance. That's the whole point of Linux. Like when you would do a Windows install, you're sitting there for two hours looking for all your different licenses to find and, and transfer them over. And then you got to call Microsoft and sit on the phone because they think you've used the license more than once. And you like, I just don't want so, to that rule
3: to your point me. to exactly what you're talking about. To your point, uh, one of the one of the first times that Linux ever really, really clicked for me. And I went, this is how I sell it to other people was I was away from home and left my laptop charger at a training center. I was uh, out of town for training, and I wasn't going to be back until Monday, so I was going to have to go three days without my computer, which wasn't going to fly because at the time I was working for a a software company and I had to have my laptop. I called my boss up and said, what do you want me to do? And he says, you don't have a choice. Go to Best Buy, buy a new computer and expense it because you got to have one. You can't go without a computer for three days. So I went to buy a computer and uh, ended up loading Linux on it, and all of the software that I needed I just pulled from repos and that was one of the very first times early on in my career when I went, oh, this is what computing can be like when you don't have artificial restrictions on it, right? Most of us don't mind paying for software. Exactly what Michael said. We don't want to pay for hassle. So if, you're, if I'm going to, especially for something like a file manager, like right. it's one thing if it's like, oh, my video conferencing software. Okay, well, I'll just wait till Monday till I can get that. My file manager, like I can't.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, it's like there's a disconnect
3: for, for, for me. In there somewhere. Now, now, if I can pay for it and he just sends me like the deb or the, or the RPM or whatever, yeah. or the snap package, and then I just have that software. And, and once I've quote unquote paid, then I just have access to the repo like Paravel system does with Rivendell. Mm-hmm. You pay them, you get access to the repo. And then once you have that information, it's kind of on you to just be on the honest honor system, not to hand that information out to other people. But uh, if that's the way they do something like that, I'm all on board. If it's every time, every time I install my file manager, I go to, I go to browse documents and it says enter license key. (laughs) Not so much.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what I was going to say is like, as long as the, if, if the paywall is behind just an access, so just, I just have an account and then I could download the file and then do it and it's done. Like if that, that's actually completely reasonable and I have no problem with that. Uh, And, and most of the time I think that um, like what he's asking for is what, $10 or something like ten dollars yeah. or you
2: join his patron or which you can could join be, his patron yeah. yeah
1: it could be a dollar a month
2: right? it's not what he's asking for he's worth it every penny for it right. I, I would yeah. pay him ten dollars just to go sign my steam account like <laughs> the, the dude's cool man he writes awesome software i just yeah. don't it gives i don't know about, it may, it leaves me with a weird feeling because i'm like mm. Noah. like i don't want a situation where we get into linux where all the devs start doing this and i gotta pay ten dollars to unlock this and ten dollars unlock that and the, I, you know, there's got to be a way to still support, you know, these individuals without, you know, having to deal having with...
0: Having to do the payroll, yeah. Yeah. So just one final feature before we moved on, and I was surprised that the guy didn't list it in his article. Um, that one, one of the icons at the top of the um, file manager is terminal. And I thought, oh, okay, this is cool. You're in that file directory. You click on a terminal, and up pops your terminal window. No, it's got a built-in terminal in the file That's manager. Cool. So if you've got a, a dual pane session going on and you're in the left hand pane and you click terminal, your bottom quarter of that screen becomes the terminal that the window that you're in. And then when you shut down the file manager, the terminal bit part of it shuts down as well, yep. which I thought was quite interesting.
1: That is very cool. And also if you push F4 on, in Dolphin, terminal.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can do that in most file managers, but you get a separate terminal window no no, no. it's incredible.
1: built into dolphin it's built into dolphin and it also stays if you if you change your folder you're in the terminal listing is like cds automatically to that term that folder so you all you're always oh, no. attached to it it's it's fantastic cool.
2: i mean and and the other thing just uh, it just reminded me zeb when you said that is that one of the features that it talks about under the paywall is the video download which utilizes someone else's tool youtube downloader. yeah So, again, I just start getting... uh... Well, the thing is
1: that there's kind of a reasonable understanding for this one, mainly because it depends on how they integrated the YouTube DL. If they are managing the updates of YouTube DL, that's good because it's uh, kind of a pain for regular people because you have to use a specific command for updating inside of YouTube DL. You can't use your regular package manager because it it updates so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I guess you could kind of... Say that it's possible that they would add an extra benefit in that sense, but I mean overall, I think that it's a it's a it depends on how they do the licensing. If if, if they don't do licensing they just allow you to download the the package or whatever, so how about By the way? We, I just
2: learned something amazing. Though I'm sorry, Michael, that? if you push F4 in Dolphin, it opens your terminal. That is so cool. I didn't know that existed.
1: Yeah, it's awesome, and I do I use it, I use it all the time. And it, but the best part yeah. is that. The best part is, is, it, is it sticks to your... When you change the different folders, like you go to a subfolder, the, term, yeah. the, the command in the terminal is automatically ad- adjusted for that, that particular mm, folder, so you're always really available. Neat. And you can, have, you can you also do double-pane terminal.
0: If you haven't tried it before, give it a go... Polo file manager, yeah. from Tony George.
1: And I think yeah. I think I just, I, I, I want to go check it out and see like how they do the downloads and stuff to see if it mm-hmm. is like licensed yeah. or not. We're
3: we're about we're about to find out during this episode of Destination Linux because I just bought it for ten bucks. So,
1: <laughs> cool, nice, yeah.
3: nice. I posted a picture of it in in, uh, in the in the Destination Linux uh, Telegram group. So if you're not participating in the Telegram group, then you're only going to get part of the show this week. Yep.
1: There you go. <laughs> there you go. Good 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 reference. So, uh we're going to we'll, while uh, Noah tries it out, we're going to um move on to the next topic, which is there are some trends showing that Linux is having domination. I mean, that's kinda, that's kind of been true for like, you know, a decade, but it's really nice to see like the like it laid out like this is how much it dominates, you know? And also Linux is everywhere apparently. Um <laughs> so the So the, the recent data from the IDC info brief shows just how dominant Linux is becoming. Uh, in the server space, it's pretty much like completely like and in the supercomputers, it's 100 percent dominant. Uh, but it says, uh, in fact, it shows Linux is the is the only endpoint OS that is growing on a global scale, while others like Windows are remaining flat. And in some cases kind of declining if you look in like the, the IoT space and stuff uh mm-hmm. Windows market share stayed at 39% in 2015 and then 2017 while Linux grew 30% in 2015 and 35% in 2017 so it's just constantly yes. accelerating uh so Ryan what what did what piqued your interest in this particular
2: Uh, I mean, that alone to me was quite amazing. But then when they go into this article, they talk about why Linux growth, what they're attributing Linux's growth to. It all makes perfect sense here, right? You've got cloud spending, large player adoption, Internet of Things, security concerns, and cost sensitivity that all companies are really worrying about at this point. And what fits the bill for all of those? I mean, we would all say Linux, but obviously everybody else is seeing it too, and if you look at those numbers, I think it's really interesting that Windows market share is staying completely flat and Linux is growing here. So Microsoft has kind of stopped growing in that Windows market share entirely and Linux is continuing. It's got a long way to go because Windows has been very dominant for a long time. But that growth is a super positive sign that everything we thought should happen is happening yeah. with Linux. You
3: know- I question if it has as far as to go as, as as meets the eye, and and I say that because I look around when I go from business to business. I look at what applications they're using, and then I go, I wonder if that person could use Linux. And I got to tell you, it's uh it's the proverbial fart in a hurricane when I find somebody that has something that's so critical to their infrastructure, and it only runs on Windows. Like the vast majority of applications and demands today are web based, mm. and. The, the last remaining hurdle has, up till now, has been that there are some web-based applications that have based their infrastructure around Internet Explorer and then obviously Edge. And with Microsoft discontinuing uh, the, the the rendering engine for Internet Explorer and switching over to the, the Chrome engine, obviously that hurdle is about to go away whether we like it or not. And so I, I would venture to say that we're very, very close to, to being there today. Yeah. Uh, never mind where we're gonna be in a year.
1: Yeah, yeah. and also I with can, all can, the- all the work people are doing done on like so many different levels of like the IoT space, the cloud space, and even Valve doing the work for getting games, Windows games, to play on on Linux with the Steam Play stuff. Like like mm-hmm. all the stuff combined is just showing like how much interest is in Linux and and basically every fact like, factor. So like every I, industry. I, I,
3: I guess part of it is interest in Linux, but I would argue that a bigger part of it is just a uh, is is a is an efficiency of code and a license structure, right? It's very difficult to pirate. In fact, it's impossible to, to pirate Office 365, right? How do you pirate a service? Mm-hmm. You either pay your subscription fee and they let you in, or you don't. And businesses have kind of picked up on the fact that. It's if you can roll something out and you maintain one code base, then somebody can use a MacBook, a Windows laptop, a Linux computer, a Chromebook, a tablet. It doesn't matter if they have access to a web browser, they can get to your software. It eliminates all the software piracy problems that, that plagued in the past. From a support standpoint, it's much easier because essentially if there is a problem, it's usually on the back end. If somebody's web browser is running right, their, their website, their, uh, the software is running right. So you're, you're looking at big companies who have no interest in Linux, have no care about it, but like Intuit is putting QuickBooks on Linux. We use QuickBooks on Linux, and it's not because that Intuit's a great company. It's just that they it's all web-based as As is their tax preparation software. So I, I think that there are so many market variables that are pushing people towards web software and Chrome specifically that I think that Linux is going to easily become the de facto standard because it's not subject to all of the license problems and virus problems and malware mm. and insecurity and, and, and vulnerabilities that, that Windows has. Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, I, that's a good point oh. for the web stuff. I mean, it kind of creates another issue of like the web being dominated by Google, but... Uh, yes, yeah. yes, it
3: does. Over, um, over 85% is Chrome domination. Yeah.
0: So, so here's a good question for you then. Um, one of the things that people talk about from, from a virus standpoint is that Linux doesn't get hit as much because it's been built differently. So therefore, it's That's, a lot harder to right. um, pack it. But if right. Linux becomes that much more popular... Won't the virus manufacturers sort of like move away from Windows and try and attack Linux more? They will definitely try
1: to do that, but it doesn't mean it's going to actually work. Mm-hmm. No, but they will be they'll, they'll be successful.
0: You sure. will absolutely because here's the
3: thing. I, I, it was Matt Hardley who said this first and he's absolutely right about this. If it's if it can run code, it's vulnerable. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the fact that we have privilege escalation had it 10 years before Windows got us a certain amount of leeway. But let's face it in today's world, Windows 10 has privilege escalation just like Linux does.
1: Well, no, no, and- no, 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 because privilege escalation in Windows, all you do is click OK.
3: Well, that's not true. Well, it depends on how the group policy is set up, but But in most Windows environments, at least in professional computers, it requires a it requires a password. But even by default, if you don't touch anything, as long as you set a user password, when you try to go into privilege escalation in Windows ten, it will prompt you for a password. Mm -hmm. But 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 the the, but so we got a little bit of a a a head start there. But the vast majority of the the immunization to viruses and malware stems from the fact that, as Zeb pointed out, Linux is not as popular. That said, the security needle, and I've gotten into this discussion on my show quite a bit because people email and write stupid, idiotic things like Linux isn't as secure as I make it out to be. We are moving (laughs) that needle forward, right? Windows today doesn't have anything in the way of SC Linux. They have nothing even close to that context-aware security practices, mm-hmm. whereas SC Linux, on, uh, we had that 10 years ago, five years ago, and we're continuing to move that needle forward. So by the time that we get to this per, to this point where Linux is being targeted by these attackers, we, how many more layers of security will we have wrapped around Linux that mm-hmm. Windows, in fact, they haven't even started that? And yeah. That, yeah. Doesn't even get into, that doesn't even get into all of the security features into system D, all of the security systems into separating the kernel from the user space and all that stuff. All of those things are things that we have ahead of the game of Windows. So, in a way, you're right, it will become a bigger target. And yes, I think they will be attacked more. But I still, I think that their success is going to be vastly reduced as it is compared to Windows or Mac OS. I
2: mean, I would kind of argue they're being attacked now pretty heavily because of the popularity of the cloud and what you see in most of these cases, and, and that would be the honeypot for any hacker, right? Your most serious organizations and even government run organizations hacking other governments are going for the cloud servers and things like that. Their success in every study and that I've seen in news item out there is usually related on some type of social hacking or getting somebody to do something stupid like enter their password from clicking an email link and those type of things Mm -hmm. so I'm not saying Linux and I agree with no 100% I think they will be successful I think they'll find ways through it but I think it's going to be a different kind of hacking in order to achieve it than what you would say see in Windows Mm -hmm. Agreed all right, so this is one of my favorite things to do. Noah, this is your first time that you're going to do this. Now, here are the rules. It's very important. We're going to make our predictions for 2019. I think it's my now, first the, time, too. Now, <laughs> okay, well, the, now both of you get the rules.
3: okay. Technically, it's not. My, I've done predictions. I've just not done it on this show. Right. right? Yeah. Well, we so. do
2: it way differently because our predictions are always wrong and they're horrible. So make sure. <laughs> That's oh. true.
3: <laughs> well, nobody told me that. I picked real predictions. <laughs> no, Hold we, on, I have to rewrite. <laughs> no, they should be uh, semi real predictions to the out there. I, actually, I think is going Rocco had it in 2019 on the servers. <laughs> <laughs> Michael will be on time.
2: Did we ever figure okay, out, right. Zeb, who was the most right uh, last year? By the way, I think it was Rocco, wasn't it? Um I know he prob- failed on his Solus. He's gonna be on Solus the whole year, but I think yeah, he I gonna- think
0: he was the only one that got one right, and that was somebody who <laughs> made an actual um <laughs> distribution based on snaps or something, or yeah,
1: yeah. but it that was also kind of true in the time when he said it. It was actually kind of already true.
0: But mm, yeah.
1: It it depends on how well how like how specific he was, but he was very open. It's like, well, Ubuntu core is technically all snaps thing, so you could kind of get away with it.
0: Well, maybe instead of guessing, we should go back and look at what the predictions were for last year and then and, and, and score them up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> so like that's easy. That's like. No, All
0: right. no, no. And then whether or not Rocker got one or not.
2: <laughs> so we're going to make awful, I mean, very accurate predictions. Perfect. You can trust us. We are experts in this industry. So, Michael, yep. you're up first. What are your predictions for 2019? Okay, I have a few. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one is Plasma
1: will continue to grow in momentum. I think that's just like an easy, probably going to happen. Um, Raspberry Raspberry Pi Four will be released. Um, I think they might do two releases, like one an upgrade to like the whole Raspberry Pi Four, and then an upgrade to like the zero, or that's the a good one. You know, really small ones. The and also I think that four uh, K will be continuously being pushed by the tech crowd. And uh, it will still be completely pers- uh, pointless to 99% of people because who cares? And it's, th- you know, 3D on TVs. is basically the same kind of thing. Nobody cares. Uh, it's like, yeah, I can extra pixels and then blow them up to make them look like they were already supposed to if you didn't get the ridiculous high-res. <laughs> like, wh- 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 why do people do that? Anyway, uh, the next one I think is actually... Uh, probably not going to happen, but it's it's potential. And if it does happen, it be amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Valve will announce that 10% of their catalog will be officially whitelisted by the Steam Play, uh, pro- like the project by Valve. Because, you know, they're like there's support for various games, but they're not like the whitelisting means specifically Valve supports it. So I think like 10% of the catalog is going to get that. And then it'd be like 50% will be tested by like the Proton DB kind of thing. Uh, and then finally, I think. Uh, Samsung will do a lot more innovations with the Dex, allowing it to be more phones mm. supported, more tablets to support it, and things like that. And we'll have like multiple, potentially multiple uh, desktops, or at maybe multiple distros, at least multiple desktops on top of the Linux, the Linux on Dex uh, platform that they have. So it's potential that again it'll be the uh, the year of the Linux desktop.
2: Oh wow! You already got yelled at for that. I know. And that's why I put it in the, there.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, well my predictions are that Microsoft re-enters the mobile market with an Android-based OS in 2019 and Surface-like hardware. So, interesting year we've had in 2018 where Microsoft makes better-looking hardware and more functional hardware than Apple and Apple makes horrible hardware. So, I think Microsoft What are you talking about? Line, Apple's make their their stuff is top-notch. Oh, well done. And, <laughs> And dongle gate. You just need lots of dongles. Uh, So I I think this is going to be pretty exciting to see what they can do with the, as far as Android fans out there, to see what they can do with the hardware. Because the Surface line, the tablet, the laptop that they have, absolutely gorgeous absolutely beautiful it should run linux but it's beautiful hardware so i think it'll be interesting to see what Michael, microsoft does in that uh, arena i think amd zeb listen up i need you to perk your ears up is going to release the fastest gpu on the market and outsell nvidia in 2019 you heard it here first my friend it's gonna so you happen think
0: it, you think it'll be faster than the um
2: 2080 ti yeah
0: the no that that's excuse me titan titan rtx Yeah, it's gonna blow it away.
2: Everything Nvidia has is gonna be hogwash compared to. It will
0: take a lot to blow away the title. There is a
1: good point. Uh, Our friends uh, at a bunch of podcasts, Wimpy mentioned something about the the ray tracing issue. Is like the the RTX ray tracing is actually. Uh, a compute a computation problem thing that AMD has always done computation better than NVIDIA. So just because of that one particular piece that they could automatically win because they, they, they perform better on computational stuff.
2: AMD's going to stomp them, man. And <laughs> last but not least, Michael still shows up late to every single recording. Uh Noah becomes a gamer and Zeb, you're going to fall in love with pixel games. Those are my predictions. <laughs>
3: This, it's exciting that you did Destination Linux predictions because I did that too. I just didn't put them in the dock because it's funnier that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my predictions uh, is, I, I think that Canonical will go public in 2019 at some point. I think that Microsoft will either make an offer to buy them directly or they will own or buy a controlling wow. state in Canonical. Well, here's, here, i mean, here's in controlling. Why. You, look at, <laughs> you look at what Red Hat is doing and what Canonical needs to do to stay competitive, right? So Red canonical canonical has more machines than red hat has right that's undisputed but red hat makes more money than canonical does and so you've and at the end of the day everybody's got to pay bills so they've got to find some way to level that up and the only way i see them doing that is to take the company public or get bought out by a larger organization that has another funding model and then uses that funding model to move money back into the development and continuation of of their linux operating system so I I think there's a good possibility of that. I also think that Red Hat is going to have their most profitable year yet in 2019. We've continued to watch Red Hat grow. Now they've got the backing of IBM. I'd say that's almost a surefire prediction. And I also, this is kind of interesting, I think CentOS is going to go away. I think that CentOS is going to go away because if you look at the direction of where, if you look at the direction of where Red Hat is, they've opened up uh their developer license. So you can get an actual license for Red Hat, get updates, packages, all that stuff for free, uh just as being part of their development community. And then you've got CoreOS, and then you've got Fedora, which is taking on more of a workstation like enterprise grade mm-hmm. operating system. And so I'm watching those things kind of converge and I start to ask myself where does CentOS fit into that that picture? Right? Because they're they're a project that's supported by Red Hat, but they're kind of becoming unnecessary. That CentOS was great when we needed a place to test things before we could run it on Red Hat. Now we can do that on Red Hat. And we can kind of do it on Fedora. and We can definitely do it on... So I, I, I'm just kind of watching that kind of pivot. And I think that will be... Well, you could that argue that be,
1: some companies oh. depend on CentOS. For example, like uh, web, shared web hosting companies are almost always on CentOS and not Red Hat.
3: So what would stop them from going to a Red Hat developer license?
1: Well, what because would they, would they have to have a developer license for every server that they run. Yes, but they're free. Uh, I I don't know what what would be like like I don't know what would stop them for it, but it's just something like it's interesting because I think that it's a very interesting prediction, and I think you're 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 probably uh you're probably on the like the right path because I think that CentOS does at this point like doesn't really fit into the the mold, uh, mm-hmm. but I think that if anything they'll just kind of like they might announce that it'll go away, but it won't go away for like a couple years or something. Like, I think it'll. Yeah,
3: maybe. Maybe we'll see. And it also, it also, it also relies on, on Fedora taking on some form as well. Oh. Um, I also think that Zeb is going to arrive in the US sometime in 2019. Mm. I think that Michael mm. is going to run out of disk space sometime in 2019. That's <laughs> almost that a Ryan guarantee. Is... <laughs> and I think that Ryan is going to switch to NVIDIA.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How dare you, sir? How love... dare so, you?
0: <laughs> I'm here to help. When
3: your desktop starts crashing.
0: Everything's (laughs) been way too upbeat. So it's (laughs) time for me to bring it down to earth, okay? So my first prediction is there will be no new Linux-based phones appear in 2019. Boo! Okay? Um, I think there will be more kernel problems that will occur and vulnerabilities are found, but that never actually affect people. Apart from the fact that they put the mitigation code into the kernel and it slows everything down. No. And then this one, this one is from Ryan. I will never fall in love with pixelated games. I don't
2: like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. You will fall in love with pixelated. I'll find at least one happen.
1: that you will go. This is fantastic. Yeah. I'll stream yeah. it. At we'll least one. That. That's another my new, point another point. an extra prediction. At least one game he will stream that's pixelated.
2: <laughs> yep, I
0: like it. Never gonna happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, All right, I,
0: man, so on to my favorite subject.
1: Exactly the the, uh, the 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 games section. Zeb loves every pixelated game we talk about, or at least he will. Uh, the first up, <laughs> we're going to talk about the now free to play uh, battle royale Darwin Project. Well, now it's it's possible to play on Linux thanks to the Steam Play. Uh, yeah. so th- this is uh, it's kind of similar to Fortnite. Uh, I don't know if it's like if it works in the same way of the building structure, but it it's like a the same style of like graphics and things like that, uh, in this in how the Fortnite works, and then it does the same battle royale structure of the uh, everybody's all thrown into a, a small area, and then after time the area gets smaller and smaller based on like you know whatever uh, reasoning. Most of the time people say it's like gas or some kind of like uh, I don't know there's an extra reason for bombs, it bombs gas yeah. something that being yeah place. being outside the zone automatically you get killed if you for a certain amount of time uh but this is uh really cool because uh, i i think it's 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 always good to see uh you know competition in this space but also linux has not been able to have much much usage to battle royale games except for like absurdly pixelated games like there's some pixelated to a point is fantastic it can go a little too far and it becomes like little circles and blobs and stuff. And it's like, okay, who cares? Uh, but in this case, uh, I I think this, it's great to have games like this that are coming to the Linux platform. Because we can now have like a nice Battle Royale, uh, Destination Linux style.
2: There, there you go. And you've got like crafting in this game is slightly different than Fortnite. But you're right. Uh, very similar. Theme. And the reason why you're going to see a lot of these games happen is because Fortnite announced $3 billion of profit in 2018 on Fortnite. That's Mm -hmm. billion with the B. On a video yep. game. So all those microtransactions appear to be paying off for Fortnite uh, in there. But uh, it's, it's very interesting. It's free to play just like Fortnite. So you go, you download it, you can start going and, you know, taking on your enemies out there. But I want to specifically mention something because Noah talked about CSGO and that he would play CSGO with us. And I'm very interested yep. in doing this. But have you checked out the Battle Royale mode that CSGO has launched? No. Okay, so when you log into CSGO, you're going to see this big screen because it's new and it's going to say danger zone mode. And if you go into danger zone mode, that is basically their version of battle royale and it's awesome. So really? they, oh, they wow. dump you and all the players into a map. You're there and you start collecting as many items as you can, try to find a gun, all of that stuff. But it still has the buy model. So you're going around finding cash. And then as you find cash, you can hit your B button and buy different guns and things. But some of the things that they've added to it, I think make it really unique. Like the fact that when you buy something, a drone comes and drops it off. Mm -hmm. And what that also does is you can see drones going to drop things off and let you know potentially where other players are. And there's just so many other strategy elements. Yeah, You can shoot the drones down so
1: you can mess them up and they can't get their stuff. Exactly. Really cool. Yep.
2: It's just really fun. So, when we do play our uh, CSGO tournament here, we're going to have to do some danger zone action in there. And CSGO is free to play now as well. So I thought I'd mention that. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Are we still doing it for a charity? For a resource? Uh, yeah. 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 yeah be for really Tony good George.
2: To <laughs> we're going to make bullet File Manager free for everyone. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So it's the game section. Ryan writes the articles every week. So I thought, here we go. What monstrosity has he got for me this week? So I clicked on the link, and I'm sitting there watching a video, and I'm waiting, excuse for the pun, I'm waiting for the bomb to drop. (laughs) And it didn't happen.
2: Yeah, I was nice this week.
0: Atom. Um, It's a Fallout-inspired game that has been released with native Linux support. Um, It's a role-playing game in a post-apocalyptic Indie, uh, it's a, it's a post apocalyptic indie game. He still gets me with these stupid words. Um, and inspired by classic <laughs> CRPGs, whatever they are, uh, whatever they are Fallout, Wasteland, your Baldur's Gate. Now, having played um Vikings Wolves of Midgard recently, um, I can actually now relate to the top down role play. Um, nice. and this actually looks Looks quite good. The only thing that put me off was it's... I think it's been written by some Russian developers. And if you look on the Steam shop and look at the second video, there's an awful lot of stuff that's relevant if you're Russian, but it's absolutely meaningless if you're you're in the rest of the world. I mean, they're playing some melodramatic song in the background, and there's some person lamenting away in Russian. And I'm thinking will that take anything away from the gameplay if they keep adding all of this Russian stuff in? But the actual, you know, the stuff itself is its the typical stuff. You've got to find stuff. You've got to know what armor to wear, what guns to keep, what food to carry. You've only got that limited amount of stuff to do. So yeah, I can imagine this would be fun to play. I'm not sure I would spend 10 pounds on it, but if it came up in a steam sale, I mean, I think it's $14.99 in dollars. But if it came up on a Steam sale, um, or as part of, you know, a package, then yeah, I wouldn't be adverse to to giving it a try.
2: Yeah. These type of games are fantastic. Fallout's one of my favorite game series until the last one that just came out uh, ever. They're just very fun. They the turn-based RPG style is much like taking a game and and adding a chess like element to it, because basically it's you stop for a moment because you're taking turns between you and the enemy depending on who sees each other and you have time to take your whole party and figure out the tactic that you want to execute and then you you know choose what you want your characters to do and then you hit play and then they execute those commands and hopefully if you've done it correctly you're going to win against the enemies there so that's kind of how the turn-based system works and fallout was kind of one of the best known ones out there for that turn-based strategy when it first came out uh now now not as much turn-based uh in the latest fallout games but still a very fun type of game and i love that people were going out there and kind of inspired by that um game and and making offshoots of it because the latest fallout game as you know was a horrible bomb so that's a nice way to put it
0: i mean if you've got a car that i can jump in and drive
2: there you go. I mean, what else? <laughs> Were you can, wrecking into stuff?
0: <laughs> I can start wrecking, wrecking stuff, yeah.
3: Let's say that you're still sitting uh, through this desti- this episode of Destination Linux. You're sitting at your browser and you're like, I want to check out Open Bazaar." And you've got the web address typed into the web URL, or the, the URL browser, but you're not sure to hit that enter button. Because if you do, you know within 50 minutes, the FBI will be knocking on your door <laughs> That's uh, probably a bit dramatic, But here's the thing. <laughs> Software Spotlight this week is Tor Browser. Now, Tor is a network anonymization tool. Essentially, volunteers operate servers all around the world, and your traffic bounces from one server to one server to another until it finally exits somewhere. Now, the thing is, even if that traffic could be tracked, which oftentimes becomes impossible because it's just too expensive to try to follow it around, even if it could be tracked, hundreds of thousands of people use those same exit relays, So trying to actually prove who was browsing that traffic becomes impossible. Tor is one of those browsers that is super easy to get up and running and oftentimes when people hear about it, they're like, it sounds really cool to browse the dark web to throw out some (laughs) <laughs> to throw out some terms, but but the truth is, it's actually as simple as just downloading a file and double clicking on it, and you'll run a a contained version of Microsoft or, <laughs> Microsoft Mozilla Firefox that uh, that runs that is channeled through the Tor uh, network. Now you can set Tor up in all sorts of complicated ways. So, for example, I at my house have a a Tor node that I can jump on a specific network on the house, a specific Wi-Fi network or wired network, and then it funnels my traffic through Tor or I can get on my regular Wi-Fi and just have fast internet. So it's a fantastic project, way easier than you might think to set it up. If you haven't checked it out, make sure to check it out. We'll have a link for you in the show notes on how to get the Tor browser, the Tor network up and running. It's mm-hmm. also, in this, also in your uh, default repository if you're on Ubuntu. Just, uh, i
2: love that you gave a you know l- legitimate use case there of how you utilize it there because so many times when you talk about Tor and these other things they're like oh what's that to browse the dark web and get drugs no it's actually I mean, you can i mean you can't yeah <laughs> but it, that's the spirit but you could also do that on a regular browser but you just get caught faster right um exactly but the amazing thing about this is if you think about journalists who utilize it. And if you go on their website, they have a listing of all of the different resources that have utilized Tor in the past. Um, Journalists that use it to keep their sources from being identified citizens who are blocked from their governments Mm -hmm. uh, due to censorship laws and activists and civil rights groups around the world. Um, This allows them to have communication with each other without having as much fear uh, as you would just being on the open internet of, you know, being caught and being able to still, you know, Organize yeah, and still so, and still
1: have a decent experience with a browser it's 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 a they exactly. they made the the Tor network itself is not that complicated but if you've never done it before it can def- definitely feel complicated whereas the Tor browser allows you an an easier approach to doing it because they have it all built in before mm-hmm. it, so it'll like set up proxies for you and stuff like that so it's a really a really nice way to package it for you but and also it's a fundamental piece of the Tails uh, operating system the Amnesic mm-hmm. operating system.
3: Oh right yeah
1: yeah, so Very it's. Cool. The... I always forget about Tails. It's
3: such a great piece. Such a great tool. Yep. Yep. If you ever, if you ever, if you want here, I tell you what. If you want to get into Tails or or Tor or any of that, go download. Well, <clears throat> purchase the documentary called uh, Citizen. Is it Citizen Four? Citizen Four. Uh, yeah. and it's a documentary about Edward Snowden, and it will make you feel so cool to open up Tor, even if all you do is Google something. You'll
1: feel it. <laughs>
2: Bat, hacker, duck hacker, duck, evil thing. Exactly. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, You yeah, know yeah. it. Uh, no, <laughs> we know what you, you got. You go
3: to Google. It's more. It's funnier if you go to Google because then it says there's suspicious traffic coming from this exit. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Feel very important.
2: So we love when our listeners communicate with us. And this week, we got a tip and trick from the listeners. And by the way, we should give a shout out here to anybody doing this. Send us tips and tricks. Send us your favorite software. We will get them included in the show uh, if we can. So it helps us, obviously, be able to come up with new stuff that would be interesting for other listeners out there. So send that to us in your email. And this week, we got an email from Chris, and he says Z, as in the letter Z is a utility I cannot live without, and I'm boggled at the fact seemingly nobody else uses it. It's an absolute lifesaver. We'll have a link to the GitHub that he provided us in the show notes, but basically you install this thing into your environment with a simple addition to your shell startup, and you get a hyper-intelligent one-character magic carpet that will intelligently learn your file system and commonly use paths and take you exactly where you mean with the absolute minimum of typing. For example, Z-A-M, this zooms me to slash home, uh, his file Amazon where he keeps his work stuff. Z-P-E-R-S takes him to his personal files. And the key thing is these aren't aliases. Z is adaptive and actually stores lightweight stats about how frequently you go to various places in your file system so it knows what you likely mean using ludicrously short abbreviations. It's a lightsaber. Thanks again for all the awesome work on the show. He also gives a thank you to Michael, but we can skip that. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we can just skip that. (laughs) No, he says, by the way, I just wanted to thank Michael once again for recommending KDE's accessibility feature. I found a happy home in Kubuntu 18.10. Runs great with nary a flaw on my rather new and otherwise largely unsupported Alienware 17 R5.
1: Yeah, I I think they were specifically talking about the one where I described the, the way to zoom in on Plasma. Uh, like the super plus, like that's a really nice feature.
3: Um, I use that all the time since you told me about that BT dubs.
1: Good, good. It's I use it all the time too, and I don't need to or anything, but it's it makes it so much easier to have it to zoom in your specific application. You could just like just zoom in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. but what was funny earlier when you said this, like the way I finish the uh, segments on this week in Linux, I always end with like we'll give you a link in the show notes and stuff, and you said that I was like, are you gonna just not? to explain what z is and you're just gonna <laughs>
2: <laughs> listen it's z go out there and find it yourself and figure it out
1: exactly but it I looks like it. it looks like a, a crazy idea like like how does it know what you want though like and the first time you use it i understand it like it learns but how does it start learning is that okay yeah. you ever heard of skynet
2: i think so isn't that isn't that the We're like the there? isn't that the <laughs> slang
1: term for google
2: Yes, basically. Uh, Yeah, it is interesting. I want to go in there and play with it and see how intuitive it becomes, but it seems like a pretty cool tool to have in there. So definitely check it out.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, that's the end of episode 102. I hope everybody enjoyed it. And uh, Ryan, if you could lead off with our uh, thank you to the patrons.
2: Well, a big thank you to each and every one of our patrons for supporting us, for Waiting for Michael for the show to begin every week, or hanging out with us in the every post week. show. But one of the things I do want to mention here that the Patreon money is helping to fund, which this is very important, is we want to bring Zeb to America. We want to bring Zeb to America for Southeast Linux Fest. So. Consider becoming a patron, especially for this. When's, when's Southeast Linux Fest coming up? Oh, it June. hasn't.
1: Yeah, June, but it hasn't yeah, been officially. June. The date hasn't been officially okay. set.
2: So we've got to come up with enough funds to get him from that, wherever he is across the other side of the world, over into the United States where we're free. Are you free? <laughs> <laughs> I'm free. teasing. Don't send your hate mail to me. No, but we really do want to get Zeb over to Southeast Linux Fest. So your patron donations will be going towards that year coming up soon
0: we've just lost 20 patrons they
2: don't want you in America (laughs)
0: absolutely not but okay so let us know if you want Zeb in America send us send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org if you've got a burning question that you'd like one of us to ask or answer if you've got any comments that you want to make about the show then send us that email um, or make some um comments on telegram, discord, Google Plus, not for much longer, Twitter, <laughs> Mastodon, and if you go to destinationlinux.org forward slash contact, Michael has a whole load of other ways that you can contact us and leave us your information. But don't forget that email that we want for is Michael a filthy dual booter. He,
1: <laughs> Thanks for that.
0: Because he does Windows in the VM. Let's not forget that one. We no. want to know whether Michael's filthy or not. To, okay. to be clear,
1: that the only thing it does is Photoshop in that VM. That's it. So it's 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 more like the VM is just for that We've got one, it clear. It. Let's let our
2: listeners okay. Okay. decide. Yeah. Well, because
0: you don't want me to end up with, does that make Michael a filthy picture taker? <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Anyway, Michael... Well, um, I hope everybody remembers the most, one of the most important things for liking the smash button. Uh, and also, if you would, just uh, share the show on social media. I did
3: that one perfectly.
1: Well done! Uh, yeah, thank you. Finally,
3: <laughs> until you blurted out your success, you didn't. no, I don't
1: care. I it, that was how important it was to actually get it without fumbling. Uh, and also, uh, if you have, you're not aware, we also have all of our individual channels, so you should uh, check out uh, Zeb's. You can find him, uh, you know, tearing through caravans and even some <laughs> dire wolves in uh, Midgard on his stream. And right. you can also check out uh, Z- Noah with uh, Ask Noah Show. Uh, where he talks about gives an advice for people who call in to discuss uh, Linux and uh, business questions and things like that and also check out Ryan's uh, channel on DOS Geek
2: fill your brains
1: <laughs> that's like the first time you got to say it on the show <laughs> nice yeah. and also you can check out my my channel at uh, tuxdigital.com where I talk about uh, actually always Linux related uh, but also this week in Linux uh, Linux news podcast if you're interested
0: okay thanks very much everybody Have a great week. And remember that the journey to self is just as important as the destination.
2: (laughs) I love it. Well done, sir. Well done.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone. (laughs)